Good morning, everybody. What an appropriate text for Brad to, to both read and pray, you know, and it's this idea of, of flying like eagles, being strengthened by God, um, you know, uh, the Lord doing his work among us and in the context of where we find ourselves. That's really what we're talking about today, uh, that the Lord will do these things. The victory is his. He has had it. He said, Jesus said, there will be trouble in this world, but don't lose heart. In fact, he says, take heart, for I have overcome the world. That, that's what Jesus has done, and in that, we have the victory. Now, this is one of the things I want to challenge us with today, though. He read that text out of Isaiah, and it speaks of of God's will and determination and power and ability and then his purposes to do the work among the people, to express himself in a way that, that uh, brings the kingdom forward. Here's what I want us to recognize. We have a role in this. We, his children, in the context where he has us, in the nation in which we reside, we have a role in this. We have a responsibility in this. We have a privilege in this. And that's what I want to talk about today is, is that God will do this thing. Um, he is powerful. He is willing. He is able. And he will do it to bring about his, to bring about his will. Uh, but he does that to a large degree through his children. So what I want you to do, I'm going to be pretty concisely sticking to the notes today, and I'm going to take my time because what I want us to see, there's a passage in scripture that I want to reflect on in regard to how we as believers function in the confines of the place God has us to be a testimony of his grace, to be, to be instruments of his power, and to bring the kingdom of heaven forward into who it is we live with, who it is we walk with, who it is we work with how to be good citizens in this place that he has given us. And that's what I want to do. So what you're going to need to do is open to 1 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to look at a very short text, but we're going to take it apart pretty um, in, in some detail. If you have the notes, open them. I'm going to read this opening paragraph for a moment. Um, and it says this. It says, it is one thing for us to celebrate our, our nation, its independence, its beginning, its, 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 its maturation, those who have defended it and fought for it, those who have supported those who have fought. I mean, everyone has a, everyone has a responsibility in this. It is one thing for us to celebrate, still another to take responsibility, to bless, listen, and to be a blessing. First Timothy 2.7 guides us in this process. And this is what Paul is, is saying to Timothy. Now, the book of Timothy is written by Paul to a young pastor, and he's, he's now the pastor of the church in Ephesus. And essentially, he's training Timothy as to how to pastor these, this flock and what it is he is to do to guide them in, in, their, in, in living a holy life and, and, and making an impact in their world. And so what he's trying to get us to understand is this, that we are to be truly good, a truly good and beautiful expression of the life of God in us. So our, you know, so that, you know, to be blessed by God and to be a blessing, we need to conduct ourselves as good and as the good and beautiful expression of the life that we have in Christ to the world around us. And that's by being truly good citizens. First, a citizen of heaven, and then the country in which we reside. Let me say that again. First, as citizens of heaven, and then the country in which we live. Today, I want us to take into account the beauty of our God, 
and the expression of his beauty, the beauty of the life that, that has well lived by the power of God in cooperation with God and the glory of God that comes through it, and then the blessing to mankind that that glory is. So as we live among the people in a way that, in Jesus' way, in Jesus' manner, by Jesus' character, you know, obeying Jesus' commands, living in the manner which he's called us to, that brings glory to the Father. And when the Father receives glory, we and it become a blessing to anyone who sees it. So our lives become that very light that Jesus spoke of. We are a light in a dark place. So we display, when we live this way, we display in all of its splendor, in and through, God's glory is displayed in all of its splendor in and through the lives of his children. This is the testimony of God's grace to man in and through Jesus, that he has entered into us. He, is, he, has, he has made us new creatures in Christ. He now abides in us. He empowers us to live in this place, and he bears his fruit through us. That is God's desire for each and all of us. So let's go to 1 Timothy 2. We're going to start at verse 1. I'm going to pray before we go any further. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that even now our hearts would be open to what you have for us. Lord, that you would open our eyes, broaden our scope to understand what it is to, to have the privilege of living in the nation in which you've placed us and, the, and to take the responsibility you have given us to be good citizens, first of the kingdom of heaven, then of the place you have us, and how we express your grace, Lord God, back to you and then your grace through us into the, into the eyes and hearts of the people around us. Lord, bless this word to our hearts. May we be transformed. May we be changed. May our attitudes be tweaked. May we, Father, bend our will to yours, that your will would be accomplished. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to read through the text, and then we're going to take it apart. We're going to start at verse 1. This is First Timothy chapter 2. It says, I urge you then, first of all. Now, this is really interesting. Well, no, let me read it first. Okay, so here we go. I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, and intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people. Ah, I got to stop. So let's go back again. I urge you. So what Paul is saying is he's saying, listen, Timothy, listen to me. I have this for you, and I'm urging you to go about it. And then he uses this tiny little phrase, first of all. Now, again, remember what this letter is. This is a letter written by Paul who had mentored Timothy, right? P placed Timothy as the pastor of the church in Ephesus. And I was writing back to him to encourage him. If you read chapter one, he's encouraging Timothy. He's reminding Timothy of who he is in Christ. He's, he's reminding him of the call that he has and the spirit that is in him. And he's saying to Timothy, listen, you continue to move forward. In chapter two, he begins to instruct him in terms of what he's to do. And he says, now I urge you then to do this. And he says, first of all, first things, some of the most important texts in all of Christendom, in regard to all of Christianity and in the church, in regard to the health of the church, the governing of the church, the instruction of the church, the correction of the church, the expanse of the church, is in 1 Timothy. And if you go on from chapters 3 on, Tim Paul is explicit in regard to how it is where the sheep or the shepherds are to love the sheep and how they, you know, how they, how they handle the word. And, he's, and he does this in two letters to Timothy, 1 and 2 Timothy. And it's, it, but I think it's very interesting then, before he goes anywhere else, he says, first of all, I urge you, first of all, the first thing I want you to take into consideration is this, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for what? For all people. Now look what it says in verse 2. For kings and those in authority. Now I want us to, I'm going to stop there only for a moment again, because it's interesting to me that he says, first of all, what does he say? First of all, 
Prayers, petitions, prayers, intercession, thanksgiving. For whom? For all people. Think about all people for a minute. What does that mean? It means everyone. Everybody. So what is he saying? He's saying your spouse, your children, your parents, your siblings, your immediate family, your extended family, your neighbors, your friends, anyone in your scope. But he would also extend that to what? Jesus said, love your enemies. Pray for those who mistreat you. Bless those who curse you. That's crazy. And so when what Paul's doing is he's taking that little, that little thing of prayerful instruction that Jesus gave us in Matthew, in Matthew 5 and in Luke 6, and he's saying, now this is what I want you to do. I want you to present to God petitions, prayers, intercession, thanksgiving for all people. And then what he has to do is he, he has to then he, specify who those all people are. Because if you think about it, when you think of all people, who are the first people you're going to pray for? Well, you're gonna, if you're married, you're going to pray for your spouse. You're going to pray for your parents. You're going to pray for your siblings. You're going to pray for your friends. You're going to pray for your loved ones. You're going to pray for those who have asked you to pray for them. That's automatic. So isn't it interesting that none of that is listed here? We remember that Jesus said, pray for your enemies. All right, that's a guttural, visceral command, that my response to my enemy is to, if he hits me, I want to hit him back. If he takes something from me, I want to get it back. If I lend to him, I want to make sure that I don't, don't only get that back, but I get it back with interest, that, that, I, that I desire to be vindicated and I want vengeance. So what did Jesus say? No, because it's so close to the heart of man and to the flesh of man. This is what I want to remind you of. Don't just pray for those you love, pray for your enemy. Okay. All right. Those two great commands we hear right out of Jesus' mouth. Paul is even more specific. Remember, very seldom does God command us to do anything that we'll naturally do. That's why very, nowhere in the New Testament do we say pray for your spouse unless they're an unbeliever. Now, what I mean by that is this. We are to, we, you know, the instruction in the scriptures is if you have an unbelieving spouse, you live with them and you pray for them and you live your life just in a godly way in front of them that you may save them, that they may be saved through your life. They would see the gospel. Nowhere else in Scripture does it say pray for your family. Why? Because you do. What God has to command us to do are the things that are contrary to our spirit, the things that we're not going to do, the things that we're not even inclined to do, we would never think of doing. That's okay. My grandson's in the room with me today, so you're going to hear him squeal, and it's because he's awesome. Okay, so here we go. Ready? Here we go. So listen to me. So he says, first of all, Petitions, prayers, intercession, thanksgiving be made for all people. And then he gets specific, and he gets specific because we need him to be specific. Look what it says next. For kings and all those in authority. Ah! Why is that problematic? Because most of the time we don't like them. We don't like what they do. We don't like what they say. We don't like what they impose. We don't like what they ask of us. We don't like to pay taxes to them. We, we don't even, and, and even if that's the case, we don't think about it. It's not the first thing that enters our mind. We're not going, you know, I got to pray for my wife. I got to pray for my kids. I got to pray for my parents. I got to pray for, oh, my brother who broke his arm and my sister who's got cancer. And I've got to, oh, they lost somebody. And I got to pray for all that. Awesome. Oh, I got a neighbor who I just, ah, so now what do I have to do? I have to pray for them because they're irritating me and I need patience. And we think of that stuff because it's right there in front of us. You know what we almost never think about? praying for the authorities over us. We never think about it. So Paul is saying to Timothy, listen, in Ephesus, among your people, I urge you first before you do anything else, 
Before I instruct you on how to handle the word, before I instruct you on how to, how to be a, a good pastor and teacher, before I instruct you in terms of what it is to be prepared to, 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 to be a vessel of noble, before I ever talk to you about church leadership and what it looks like, before I ever tell you about entrusting this wonderful gospel to good men, let me explain this to you. Your faith should be expressed this way, that the Spirit should move in you in such a way as to petition God, to pray to God, to intercede for others, and to be grateful for all that God does. And start with this. Ah, you got this natural, these natural concentric circles of people you're naturally going to pray for. So let me remind you this. Tell the people, first and foremost, pray for the authorities above you. Whew. This is tough. Verse 2. So here we go. Go back to verse 1. Let's keep it in context. I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we listen, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. All godliness and dignity is another word for that. Verse 3. This is good. Whoa, stop. It says this is good. This is a good thing. This is a reflection of the good that God has made you to be. But look what it goes on to say. Verse 3. This is good and it what? It pleases God our Father. It does what? It pleases him. Are you kidding me? You mean God is pleased when I first and foremost come before him with petitions and prayers, and intercession, and thanksgiving, and that I don't forget that one of the primary groups of people I need to be reminded to pray for, and I need to do so, are the kings and those in authority over me. And I do that kind of for a selfish reason, that we would live peaceful and quiet lives, although he's speaking to all of Christianity, all of the church, but each one of us is part of that. And we would be able to do this in all godliness and dignity. We'll go there in a minute. And he says, now this is good. This is a good thing. And it pleases God our Savior, who wants all people, who wants all people, who wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Pray for their hearts. Pray for their souls. Pray for their spirits. Pray that their eyes would be open. Pray that God would be able to intervene in their lives. Pray that the truth would rise up. Pray for them, because God wants them saved. We'll go there more deeply in a moment. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, and the man, who is the man, the person, Christ Jesus. Verse 6, who gave himself as a ransom in exchange for all people, exchanging his righteousness for sin. This, is now, this has now been witnessed to at the proper time. And for this purpose, for all of this, I, Paul, was appointed a herald and an apostle. I, Paul, was, I, I was rescued myself. Jesus redeemed me. He, he exchanged his righteousness for my sin and, he is in, in, and imputed his righteousness into me that I would be a herald. I would be a witness to the graces of God. I would have experienced that with, with this incredible both, both knowledge of the truth of it and the experience of it. And I would share that witness at the proper time. That as opportunity presented itself, it would come from me, both in my actions and in my deeds. But it begins, he says, with prayer. It begins with prayer, and we're going to get to that in a minute. And for the, this purpose, I was appointed a herald. I am telling you the truth, he says. I am not lying. I am a true and, true and faithful teacher of the truth. 
And he goes on to say in his context to the Gentiles. But the point is to the world, to the people, to anyone who will hear at the proper time, all of this experience I have in God and the graces that he has shown me, I now am a herald. I am to proclaim it. I cannot help but say it. But I say it and as a witness to what he has done in me, what he has done doing in the world, and I give it at the proper time. This is really, really important. Now let's take this apart for a minute. We're going to go back to 1 Timothy 2.1. This is really important. Now listen to me. Listen. Please walk with me through this text. Please. If you're taking notes, take them diligently. Listen closely. One of the things that I want to do here, Paul does something interesting. Look at verse, two, verse 1 again. He says, first of all, I urge you. Think about that. For, I urge you. I, I, I want this for you. I, we need to be doing this. Come on, join me in it. Listen. He says, first of all, before anything else... What does he mean before anything? Listen, before anything else, I urge you that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made. Now, what, what, why is this important? Before he ever gets into theology and the handling of the scriptures and being able to disseminate truth and to know it really well, what is he saying? He's saying, listen, there is a visceral need for man to pray. There's, an, there's a statement that there's no such thing as an atheist in a foxhole. When bullets are flying and bombs are landing, everything's going off around you, everybody no matter what their theology is, no matter who their God is, they pray. Bing! And those are petitions. Wham! It is the most natural response of humanity because whether you know Jesus or not, there's this gaping hole in the heart that God has left there because what he wants to do is fill it. And that, 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 that our hearts are designed to worship. They're designed to seek an other. They're designed to seek something that's larger and greater than self. It, even if it's as mysterious as that is, the human heart is compelled to pray, compelled to go to the one who can make a difference, the one who has more power than they do. So what Paul is saying is, listen, every human being has this natural inclination and ability to seek God in prayer. Before you even know what your theology is, that doesn't matter. This is all. First of all, listen, pray. But now, aim your prayers. Stop it. Aim your prayers. I urge you, pray, aim them. This is really important. Now, what he does here is this. Look what it says. It says, first of all, then, I urge you that, look, look what it says, petitions, prayers, and intercessions and thanksgivings be made. Stop. Did you notice there's four different commands there? There are four different things. There are four different types of prayers that he's speaking of. He's not just saying pray, 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 pray. He's not just being redundant in regard to, I'm urging you so much that I want you to pray and pray and pray and pray. No, that's not what he's saying. There are two things that I want us to see here primarily. First and foremost, that there are four types of prayer that he's teaching us to pray here. He's commanding us to pray. He's urging us to pray. That are natural expressions the second thing, though, is this. Not only do we pray and, and seek God, and he's urging us to do so, and he's urging us to do so in different ways. Each way guides us from the natural man to the holy man. It guides us from the natural self to being utterly, on the, uh, utterly before God on our faces. It moves man from, from his most visceral, guttural type of prayer to the most spiritual type of response to God. And each one has a role in that's happening. In other words, what he's saying is, I want to take the hearts of men that by nature are pretty selfish, and I want to move you from one, one step at a time, from one, one stone on the path to the next, to go from the most visceral 
kind of self-centered prayer, which is not a bad prayer. He tells us to pray it, but that guides us through the process of becoming even more godly in our prayers. He's saying, I want you to go from your understanding of what I want for you to, your under, to, your under, to understanding what I want for all men. Look what it this is. This is really cool. Follow me in this. So he says, petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving. That means we got to look at each one of these. So the first question is, what is a petition? Now, this little first little part's not in your notes, but man, write it down. It says, petitions. This is the most visceral, guttural, and natural type of prayer. A petition is a heart, is, a, is, a, is us having a heartfelt need, a very specific felt need. It arrives from a deep personal need due to lack or want, right? It, 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 it comes from our belly. It's something we feel. It is, it, is, it is, I have a need, and God says, bring it to me. It is the most visceral, natural prayer. It's not a bad prayer. It's just the prayer that we're most naturally inclined to pray. I need, I want, God let me, da-da, boom. It is the expression of self, and it usually is guttural. It's, it comes from the inside. It's a natural response. If I hit my hand, I grab it. If I lose something, I go to God, and I, I need, I want, help me, da-ba. Not a bad prayer, not it is a prayer that we're commanded to pray. God wants us as children to come to him when we have want and need. He wants, he, when we have a felt need, when we're struggling with something, when we when are at our wits end, God wants us to petition him and come to him with our stuff, our list, and say, here it is. Petitions are really important. And so Paul starts there because it's the most natural form of prayer. This is the prayer that's prayed in foxholes. This is where even an atheist can't help but pray. Can't help it. When the bullets are flying, what do we do? We petition, oh my God, save me. Keep me safe. Help me. Heal me. Do it. Ah, that's a petition. All humanity is designed to petition God in such a way. And as his children, we have access to him. And we ought to go to him. And our guttural response when we're in need should be to take that right to the Father. So he says, petition. But look what's next. Prayers. So if petitions are the most visceral and guttural and natural prayers, and they just spill out of us when we have want and need, when we feel something, prayers are a little different. Prayers are a little more thoughtful. That once we present that petition and we kind of lay that out before God, what begins to happen is the Holy Spirit speaks to us. His word speaks to us. And we begin to realize, okay, God, I want this. I need this. Oh, but you know what? I need your will to be done. But I'm not exactly sure what your will is. So let me share you with, with you what my will is. I would like this, but if. I want this, but ah. And what happens is when we pray, so petitioning is that government response. When we begin to pray, now we're begin, it's a give and take. We're beginning to exp exchange wishes with God. And what's happening in this moment? Look what it is now in the notes. I'm going to go there. It says an exchange of wishes, working with God to see his will. When I petition, my will is get me out of here. Fix me, heal me, give me, ah, ooh, eat, bop, boom, right? That's our natural response. We bring it to God. But if you're, if you're a parent, or if you're a guardian, or if you're a disciple maker, and you have somebody come to you, and they, they, they just they petition you, I need, I want, da, da. It, when they're little, we, we give it to them. As they get older, we begin to see that, well, I don't want to enable them. And it goes from, okay, I see you have a felt need, now, Let's talk about this for a minute. What would be the best way for this prayer to be answered? What would be the best way for me to answer your request? What would be the best way? And all of a sudden, this exchange of wishes begins to happen. 
And what God is actually doing in this is he's bending our will to his. He's, he's, he's allowing us to express our will and petition. And then when we begin to exchange with him, he, my will and his will begin to wrestle with each other. And what he's doing over time, if we're willing to hear it, again, petitions, guttural, blah. Prayers, mm, cool out for a minute, just chill. Have a conversation. Listen to me for a minute. Prayers now takes that guttural, visceral, oh my goodness, to, oh, wait, oh, stop. Okay, what? Oh, ah, yeah, but I really, yeah, but do you need, yeah, but I would like, yeah, but would that be good? What? And we go back and forth. And what God is doing is he's massaging our heart. He's adjusting our attitude. He's helping us see that his will is greater than ours. He's helping us come to some sort of a compromise with him that allows us to continue to move forward with affirmation and confirmation and knowing that he's, that he's a great provider and at the same time saying, now I do know what's best for you. Let's go back and forth about this. Petitions, prayers. This is another thing prayer does. If petition is my guttural response to a felt need and I'm going to the Father to just lay it out, prayer is an exchange of wishes where I'm working with God to see his will and he's working with me to massage my heart and helping my attitude and my vision. He's all, that's allowing the Holy Spirit now to rise up and to speak to me that I would now be, have this give and take with God. As we exchange these wishes one with the other, it's, now listen, it's almost like getting reacquainted with God because listen, a petition is what? It's being acquainted with my felt need. Knowing that I have a God who loves me, I get my felt need and I go, hey, here it is. When I slow down and I begin to pray and we exchange wishes, what am I doing? I'm, I'm, I'm backing off this intense need to want my thing, to get my thing, to be healed, which are not bad prayers. He says, pray them. But now he's saying, listen, whoa, slow down, my friend. Slow down, son. Slow down, daughter. Let's talk about this together. And in that moment, what's happening is from the petition, which is kind of this, oh my goodness, what do I do? God is lifting our chin up over the need to see him in exchange. And what are we doing? Well, we're getting reacquainted with him. We're getting our eyes off ourselves and our, and our felt need. And we're beginning to be lifted to see him and we're being reacquainted with him. It's like any other conversation we have with a friend. At first, there's this kind of visceral thing between us. We like seeing each other. We're mad at each other. We're working through stuff. Boom. But then as, we, as we, the two friends begin to talk, what are we doing? Every time we're with a friend, we take a few minutes to get what? Reacquainted. To get to know each other a little more deeply. And then as we begin to share back and forth, there's, you know, we, become, we come together. That's what God's trying to do with us in prayer. He doesn't want us just floundering, petitioning, lost in our felt need, in our brokenness, in our hurt, in our want, in our need. No, he wants to join us in it, draw our eyes to himself, and begin to have an exchange with him. That when he does respond, we can receive it as he intends it. Because it's not, his answer is not always what we imagine it to be. And until we get reacquainted with him, his grace, his mercy, his love, his care, his provision, his wisdom, his will, as we get reacquainted with him through this exchange of wishes, our heart becomes more and more willing to receive not just what he's giving to us, but whatever it is, whenever it is, or isn't, and we receive it as he intends it. Prayer does this. This is really, really important. So we're getting reacquainted with God. This is really important now if we truly then want to, what's next? Look what it says. Go back up to verse one. First of all then, let us, I urge you that petitions, prayers, and what's the next thing? 
intercessions. Intercessions. Well, this is a really, this is a really different kind of prayer. To intercede is not to intercede on one's own behalf. To intercede is to intercede on someone else's behalf. So you can see where petitions are kind of a self-centered prayer and where we express our need. And prayers are that exchange of wishes where God massages our heart from my will to his, my attitude from, from mine to his, and, and my ability now to hear him and desire his will and be willing to receive whatever it is he gives us in whatever, whatever form it becomes because we trust his mercy, grace, love, and wisdom. Listen. That's an exchange. That right there, what that does is it primes my heart for something different. And that is going from self-centeredness to this exchange of wishes where I'm gaining insight into God's will to now being, listen, other-centered. And my prayers begin to be on the behalf of others. But it's not just my prayer for them. What the prayer, what the, what the exchange of wishes does in aligning, aligning my heart with his will, I can now pray, I can now hear the Holy Spirit and pray for someone not according to my will or my thoughts or my personal intentions or wisdom, but now I hear from God and I pray according to his will on their behalf. This is really, really important. And Paul is leading us, whether we know it or not, he's leading us through this parade of growth in regard to the type of prayers we pray and how we pray them. So to intercede has, to, has been to work out my will to know God's will, to get out of my will and into his. And now we begin to intervene on, beha- on behalf of someone else, coming to God on their behalf. Learning God's will and praying God's will as one falls in line with God's will. So I go from petition, I felt need, I want, I need, help me, boom, to exchange of wishes, okay, Lord, I trust your mercy, your grace, your will, your wisdom. Father, bend me to you. Help me to receive whatever answer you give me in whatever form it is and to recognize and trust your wisdom in it. And now, Lord, as you have opened my heart to, be, to accept your will and, and massage my heart to be able to see your will, Father, may I now begin to pray for those around me according to that will. Lord, I, I don't want my will in my life. I did when I petitioned you, but as I exchange wishes with you, you begin to transform and change me. And as I see your will and how good you are, and I can trust that goodness, Father, now I want that goodness for others. And although, Lord, yes, I would petition you that I see their felt need and I have that felt need on their behalf, Lord, I want your will accomplished. I want your wisdom accomplished. Father, help me to pray for them according to your will. Guide me in my prayers. This is what it means to intercede. So after we have drawn near to God and we have agreed with his revealed will through his word and through spirit, True intercession now seeks to act only as the Lord directs us, that we are now agreeing with him and joining him in prayer for this person, following his will to act as, listen, to act as his extended hand, to act as his extended hand. So now I am truly a vessel of noble purposes, which Paul actually writes to Timothy shortly after this, that now that I've cleansed myself from my own need, presenting it to God rightly, and now I've exchanged wishes with him in such a way as to... um, as to uh, have my will bent to his and begin to desire more and more his will and to seek what it is he has for me and to, and to be okay with that. Now I'm led to be able to pray for others according to that will. And in so now I become an extension of his hand. Why? Because I know his will. 
Not that I know specifically what this person needs and I tell them that. No, I come before God and I bring this person. I say, Father, I have this felt need, but if I exchange wishes with you in my own life, now I want to do that on their behalf. Father, guide me in how I can pray for and minister to this person. That's what this is. That's what it is. And this guides us to the next thing. Listen, listen, what does it say? It says, I urge you, I urge you, first of all, that you would petition God and pray with God, exchanging wishes, intercede on behalf of others, and look what it says next. Thanksgivings. Well, what is that? This is the expression, listen to me, this is the expression of the converted heart. This is the expression of the heart that goes from petition to, to, and, and the need to have something done because I feel it and I've over, I'm overwhelmed with it and I come before you with it, God, and I know you want to hear this, so here it is. As I work through that into exchange of wishes and I'm learning the mercy, the grace, the love, the wisdom of God and his goodness and trusting that he will accomplish what he needs to accomplish and whatever he answers, however he answers, I will receive it as a gift from a good and, a good and, a good and wise father. As my, as my heart then is bent toward your will, Father, I begin to have that, go through that same process for the sake of my loved ones and even my enemies that I do have a felt need. I petition you for and on behalf of that person or because of that person. But Lord, I exchange these wishes. Father, bend my heart to yours that I would desire what they, what you want for them. And Father, as you reveal that to me, may I lift it back up to you and be an extension of your hand into their lives. And Lord, listen, all I can do now is be thankful. I be, I, that now I trust wholly your will and your purposes and your wisdom and everything around me, everything around me is an expression of you and your goodness. Now, this is really tough. And this is why now that he goes on to say, listen, ah, thanksgivings. This is the converted heart, the heart that has worked through and moved from self to God's will, to the welfare of others, and now straight to God in gratitude and giving thanks. And the giving of thanks for God's grace, for his blessings. Ah, and now we can truly pray. This is why Paul goes through all of that, and then he says, now, this is who I want you to pray for. First of all, everyone, which is what Jesus is saying. You're already praying for those who love you. Now pray for your enemies. Oh. Then Paul says, now I want to show you who you're least inclined to pray for. Jesus, you know, the extremes are easy. I hate that person. Father, help me not to hate them. I want ill for that person because, uh, but Father, help me to want blessing for them. Father, I love that person. Here they are. Those are, those are easy. The hard ones are the ones we don't notice, the ones we don't think about, the ones that really <clears throat> apparently matter. Because in petitioning God, giving our felt need, our guttural response, that visceral ah, and then taking the time to listen to God and exchange wishes and go back and forth and compare my will to his will and my thinking to his truth and allowing that to be tempered and matured and deepened. And, hmm. He shows me then how I would intercede. He bends my heart from self to others through his will. And I go through the same process now, petitioning, exchanging wishes, now interceding on their behalf. And then all of a sudden I realize, oh my God, you are good and you are faithful and you are amazing and I am grateful. I am grateful for, yes, everything you do. I am grateful for everything you've done, but I'm becoming more and more grateful as I get more acquainted with you. I get more and more grateful about you, your person and who you are and who I am to you and what you've made me to be. And then the privilege of coming before you and bringing all this to you and exchanging back and forth and knowing full well that your goodness will be done, that you work all things out for the good of those who love you according to his purposes. And Father, I want this now for all people. And that's what, Tim, that's what Paul's saying to Timothy. For everyone. And then we go to verse 2 and he says, Now, 
specifically for the authorities above you. Oh. But he reminds us of something. They are there for your good, whether you know it. No matter how they believe, no matter how they think, no matter how they act, I'm telling you, I've established them, I've placed them there, I've placed them there for your good. You pray for them. You have your mind changed about them. You trust me. In First Peter chapter 2, there's a moment where Peter is imploring people under Nero's tyrannical and nasty and ugly reign to pray for him, to obey the authorities. But listen, then what does he say? He says, make yourself subject to the authorities, but entrust yourself to God. Why is that important? Because the authorities over us aren't the true authorities over us. The authority over us is God. And God established these authorities to accomplish his will. And what I can trust, even if I don't agree, even if whatever, the, if, if, ah, God, I've petitioned you, you know my heart. I've exchanged wishes with you and argued back and forth with you, but I'm learning to trust. I, am, I have interceded for the sake of others to you that your will would be done not only in my life, but in theirs. I am grateful, Lord, that you will do these things. And now I'm trusting that you are a good father. You are all wise. You are the sovereign over all things. And somehow you'll use this and them to accomplish your will in my life and the life of those you love and who love you back. And that we might be an expression of your grace and bring the kingdom of heaven forward in the context in which you've placed us. And that we would just entrust ourselves to you. That we know, Lord, that you will work this out. Mm. Mm. So, I would say this, very quickly. I don't want to run out of time. We still have communion to do this morning. I went to Daniel chapter 4 to see how Daniel, who served a tyrant and a pagan, and how he responded to his master. And I thought to myself, how can we pray specifically for the authorities above us? Daniel chapter 4, verse 27 says this. He's speaking to the king. And he's saying, therefore, my advice, may my advice be pleasing to you. Daniel has been praying for the king. He has petitioned God. He has exchanged wishes with God. And now he's interceded for the king. And that intercession now is, is, is God's hand expressing himself through Daniel. That's exactly what Paul's asking us to do. And this is Daniel's prayerful response after meeting with God regarding the king. Therefore, Daniel says, may my advice, the advice that I have received from God as I have petitioned him, as I have exchanged wishes with him, as he has shown me his will and I have interceded his will on behalf of you according to his will, let me express to you what my heart's hope is for you according to God. My advice to you, may my advice be pleasing to you, O king. So may we pray these things for the authorities over us. Ready? Father, may they break away from their sins. Father, may our leaders and those in authority break away from their sin. May they do what is right, what is right, what is just, what is fair. May you walk away from your iniquities, having experienced the mercy of God, you now show mercy to the oppressed. 
may you show a heart that's bent. May our authorities show a heart that's bent toward the needs of the oppressed, that they would show mercy and justice. And then, this being true, may God extend your prosperity. May God extend your authority. May God extend as he works through you, as you bend to him, as you begin to accomplish his will according to righteousness. May the entire nation be blessed for that. That is the prayer of Daniel for the king. That can be one of the prayers that we pray for the authorities over us. So that with this praying, how should we live? Well, we are to entrust ourselves to God. We are to live out the very prayers we are praying. We are to act rightly and justly and fairly. We are to be merciful. We are to stand in the gap for the oppressed and the marginalized. We are to live our lives as Jesus did an example of the grace that we have received and the trusting hope to which we have entrusted ourselves, that our God is sovereign. And Jeremiah prayed this way. Jeremiah 29.4 says this. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Jeremiah, having petitioned God, his guttural response. If you read through Jeremiah, it's a book of his guts just being petitioned before God. Then he has exchanges with God back and forth as they share they're each other's, exchange it with each other, each other's wishes. And then all of a sudden you see Jeremiah begin to intercede on behalf of the people. And time after time we see gratefulness. And this is intercession. Listen, this is the heart of one who has petitioned, one who has exchanged wishes, and now recognizing God's will begins to pray this over Israel. Listen. He says, this is what the Lord Almighty says, the God of Israel. He says to all those I carried, into ex- I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, all you who I took out of your promised land and I put you back in captivity, all of you who had lost sight of me and affection for me, I placed you in a place to, 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 to refine you. But, and this is what I want you to do while you're in that place. It's the exact same thing he's saying to, the, to believers. This is not our home. We're in exile here waiting for the kingdom to come. He is saying the same thing to us. And this is what he says, verse 5. He says, build houses and settle down. Pitch your tent among the people. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. I promise I will provide for you. As the sun shines and the rain comes and you're diligent in working the land, I will bless you. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce. Listen, verse 6. Marry and have sons and daughters. Continue to multiply. Find wives for your sons, husbands for your daughters, so that they too may have sons and daughters. And increase in number there. Continue to increase. We can say this in a literal sense, but we should also see this in a spiritual or figurative sense, that we are to expand the kingdom of heaven. And bring more children into the kingdom. Because we have settled in this place. We have pitched our tent. We are being provided for by God. We are living peaceable lives. And we are now multiplying the kingdom of heaven. Look what it's going to say. And then he says this. Verse 7. Also, seek the peace and the prosperity of the city or the nation to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you will too. The call here is to live in such a way that God gives us, give, that we give God every opportunity to bless us, that we in turn might be a blessing. This is the way of Christ. This is what it is to live in a Christ-like fashion. Paul says it this way, 1 Timothy 2.2. 2. We do all of this. We pray this way. We petition. 
We pray, we pray, we intercede. We come before God in a, with a grateful heart. So that, and we pray for all of every man, everyone, including those in authority over us, that we might leave, look what it says, a tranquil and a quiet life. And again, this is not a redundancy. The word tranquil here means an undisturbed, quiet spirit, free from outward disturbance. In other words, our lives live tangibly. We have not created such turbulence or such distress. We've not done anything to bring anything down upon us in such a way that our lives now are actually peaceable. It is, it is free from outward disturbance. That's tranquil. And then quiet means this, to have a stillness of soul, a divinely inspired inner calmness, because we've not done anything to create needless friction or commotion. Now the word needless is really important there because there are moments in time that we're called into the fray to bring tension when we see injustice, when we see, when we see the marginalized being taken advantage of, when no one's taking care of the poor. We are to step into the gap in the midst of the tension. That is needed turbulence. He's talking about needless turbulence. Don't act in such a way that all of a sudden your your inner self is being destroyed because you've done something to needlessly bring commotion upon yourself. Live peaceable, godly lives. And when we do that, when we do that, listen to me, our lives become beautiful. Our lives become beautiful. A testimony. Our lives are an expression of God's grace and his mercy toward us. Our lives, our lives reverberate with the hope we have in a God who is sovereign over all these things, who promises to accomplish his will, who I have been bent to his will through petition and prayer that I have now begun to intercede for because my love now is for God and, and those for whom he's given me to pray. And I present to him, according to his will, the needs of those folks, and I'm grateful that he has a father who will do so. And my life reflects this truth. And we didn't get through everything I wanted to get through today. But what I do want to get to is this. I want to get to this table. And I want to get to this table for a reason. This is Jesus stepping into the gap, into the tension between the kingdom of the enemy and the kingdom of heaven, coming down and saying, I am bringing what's right and just and fair. I am standing in the gap for those who have been marginalized and broken. I now, Father, come to you. I have wrestled with you, petitioning to you. If there's any way this can happen without this going through the way you've planned it, take it. But Lord, now I'm praying with you, let your will be done. And now I'm interceding, Father, that all men might come to you through this sacrifice. And Father, what does it say in Hebrews? That he is grateful. It is for the joy set before him that he endures the cross. Even Jesus demonstrates this beautiful pattern of prayer going from that guttural response of, Father, we don't know, I don't, ah! But okay, Lord, let your will be done. Okay, and then Father, I trust you. And I pray that, Lord God, this would bless the nations. And now joy, Father, I'm grateful that you would do such a thing. Read John chapters 13 to 17. Read the Garden of Gethsemane. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. And everything that Jesus does, that he goes through this exact same process, that he and his humanity met with his Father, went from his guttural natural response to exchanging wishes with his Father and going back and forth and aligning himself with the Father's will, getting reacquainted with him, even in his humanity, and then interceding on behalf. Father, he sat above Jerusalem and said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. He hung on the cross and said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. This is Jesus. And And he is grateful. He's a grateful son. 
And he is now guiding us in the same process. And he's using Paul to do it. And this is what we're called to do. If we really want to celebrate what it is, the, the nation that God has given us, then let us live in a way that reflects the grace of God and how he wants to extend that through us by his hand. And we join him in petition, in prayer, in intercession, in gratefulness. And he expresses himself. So this is what Jesus did to accomplish all of this. To draw us to himself. To enable us to join him in this mission. To bring the kingdom of heaven forward. He did the same thing. And he brought his disciples together. And he sat them at a table. This is the Passover. This is the, was the, the story of the foreshadowing of the very Lamb of God being slain on behalf of the world and his blood being spilled to pay for the sins of the world and his righteousness being exchanged for the sin of man that we would now go from sinful to righteous, from one not capable of doing good to one who is good because of Christ's life in us. That has gone from death to life and darkness to light. Jesus is saying to all of his, to his disciples and then to all of us, he's saying, listen, when you have this, when you eat this supper with me, when you break the bread, have all of this in mind. And remember that this bread is my body, broken for you. And I want you to remember everything that I've done for you, everything that I am to you, everything that I wish and will to do through you, and everything that, everything that we're trying to accomplish in regard to the will of the Father for the nations to bring them to himself. Live in such a way as to be an expression of this grace. Grow from your visceral self through gratefulness of God by prayer and petition. By petition and then prayer, the exchange of wishes and the intercession. And I intercede for you even now. So when you take this bread and you eat it, remember me. Said at the end of the meal, he took a cup. Said, this is a blood and new covenant made for you. Remember me whenever you drink it. And it says when they were finished, they sang a song.